0: To Psalm nine, if you haven't done already, haven't done so already, Psalm nine is where we left off, probably all the way back in November. <clears throat> I'm going to read the psalm, and then we will get into uh, all of it together. We'll go verse by verse through this psalm, but before we do so, uh, let's look at it. Let's read what it says. In Psalm 9, starting with the title, it says to the chief musician upon Muthlubbin, a psalm of David. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou saddest in the throne judging right Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them, but the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble." And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of thy daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit they have made. In the net which they have hit, they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment with he, which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higion selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Well, some background for this psalm. There's a little bit of a discussion as to what the title of the psalm means. Warren Wiersbe says that Muth means death of a son. But we don't know how it relates to this psalm. Perhaps it was the name of a familiar tune to which the psalm was to be sung. Spurgeon, in his study of the psalm, says it may refer to a musical instrument now unknown, but common in those days. Or it may have a reference to Ben, who is mentioned in 1 Chronicles 15, as one of the Levitical singers. If either of these should be correct, the title of Muthlavan has no teaching for us, except it is meant to show us how careful David was that in the worship of God all things should be done according to due order. He also notes in his studies that some believe the son that's referred to in that title, the death of the son, could be Goliath. And he liked that possibility. He also linked it metaphorically to the victory of the Son of God over the champion of evil, even the enemy of souls. Verse 6, we have here before us, Spurgeon said, most evidently a triumphal hymn, May it strengthen the faith of the militant believer and stimulate the courage of the timid saint as he sees here the conqueror on whose vesture and thigh is the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John Phillips wrote and pointed out that Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 belong together. They are linked together by a broken but continuing acrostic. We don't see this in the English language, but the first in Psalm 9, the first 10 uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet are used to emphasize the various stanzas, except for the fourth letter, which is left out on purpose. And then Psalm 10 carries on that acrostic with a number of equally significant omissions. So in the Hebrew, there was an acrostic going on uh, in these two Psalms, and they're linked together. That's the background of the psalm. So let's dive into the first five verses here. Praise and rejoicing, as we find it in Psalm 1 through 5. Praise and rejoicing. I will praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all Thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in Thee. I will sing praise to Thy name, O Thou Most High. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at Thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou satest in the throne, judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. Notice, first of all, the heart of praise. There's a heart of praise there. David writes, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. The psalmist's whole heart was tied up in praise. This means this wasn't just lip service. This wasn't just mere words or repetitions. His whole heart was in it. This is genuine, heartfelt praise uh, to God Almighty. Psalm 119, verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. In verse 10, it says, With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Jesus said in Mark 12, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. This is a heart of praise. His whole heart is in this. When we praise the Lord, for example, when we sing the songs that we just sang, do you praise Him with your whole heart? Or is it just lip service or empty repetitions? That's not the case for David. His heart was tied up in his praise. Notice also the words of praise. He says, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. The words of praise. The phrase there, show forth, literally means to recount or to relate or to rehearse. I will rehearse, O Lord. I will recount all thy marvelous works. He's telling people all that God has done. The psalmist's praise went beyond his own personal time with the Lord. He rehearsed all that God has done to those that were around Him. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 23 through 25 say, Sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day His salvation, declare His glory among the heathen, His marvelous works among all nations, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods." It's it's more than just praising the Lord in song or praising the Lord in your prayer time or in your personal time of devotions. There's a portion of praise in which you rehearse to those around you all that God has done. Isaiah 12, verse 4 says, In that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Do you tell others what God has done for you? Do you rehearse to others the blessings and the benefits that he's poured out on your life? Or or is it just a kind of a Sunday kind of thing? We're so excited about getting together and singing the praise, uh, songs of praise. Can't say praise songs, can I? Songs of praise. You You should have just interpreted it, right? The songs of praise and all that. We get excited about that. We enjoy coming together and, and praising the Lord together. What about when you go to work on Monday? What about when you're uh, among your peers? Do you praise the Lord then? Do you recount and rehearse all that He has done? The heart of praise, the words of praise. Notice it's joyful praise. It's joyful praise. Verse 2, he says, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Isaiah 61, verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, it says. David says, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Somebody turned this into a song, but... Robert Rainey once said, Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. In Michigan, there's a place called Mackinac Island. It's a tourist uh, attraction there. It's unique because there's no vehicles. It's just uh, horse-drawn buggies and bicycles on the island. So it it, it attracts many people to see this island that doesn't have any vehicles, any engines It also has fudge and other things like that. But there's a a mansion, a cottage, uh, in the high point of the island. And it's called the governor's cottage. And if the governor's there, the flag is raised. Christians, if the Lord is in residence in your heart, joy ought to be the flag that's flying. And I don't understand Christians that claim to know Christ and know who he is and what the Bible says about him that don't have the joy of the Lord. It's not joy in your circumstances. It's joy in the Lord. It's a different thing. It's a different kind of joy. It's the joy that passes all understanding. Spurgeon said a genuine revival without joy in the Lord is as impossible as spring without flowers or day without light. It should be joyful praise. I've heard people talk about the Lord without joy in their heart. Well, you know, the Lord's called me to do this. And I gave up this to serve the Lord. That's not praise. Joyful praise. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. There's nothing better than serving the Lord and being in the center of his will. Words of praise, a heart of praise, and then songs of praise. It says in verse 2 again, I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Ephesians 5 tells us that we should not be drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled, controlled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. To the Lord. You just can't separate singing from worship and singing from praise. God places, as we sang even today, a song in your heart. He places a song in your heart, and your praise should be musical and joyful and verbal and heartfelt and genuine. And then notice David's reasons for praise. His reasons for praise. He says, first of all, he speaks of his deliverer he speaks of his deliverer when mine enemies are turned back he says his enemies are on the run but they're not running from him they're running from god they're turned back they fall and perish at thy presence god delivered david from his enemies god put his enemies on the run I love the promise in, in Romans chapter 8 after it goes uh, and says that we, there's no condemnation to they that are in Christ. Then it goes on in verse 31 to say, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 28 is one of our favorite quotable verses that God works all things together for good. There's no condemnation. God's in control. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He works all these things together for good. What can we say then? If God is for us, who could be against us? David praised God for his deliverance. God was David's deliverer, and he's our deliverer also. It's a reason for praise. God was also David's defender. God maintained David's cause. He maintained my right and my cause. Thou saddest in the throne, judging right. He executed justice on David's behalf. David did not have A kingdom in which everyone agreed with him all the time. He did not. David faced false accusations. David faced all sorts of enemies from without and from within. He faced conspiracy. He faced betrayal. He faced all sorts of things, but God maintained David's cause. When we are on the side of righteousness, God is our defense. When we are on the side of righteousness, God is our defense. God was David's deliverer, God was David's defender, and God was also the destroyer. The destroyer, it says, Thou hast rebuked the heathen, verse 5, Thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. To the righteous, God is a defender. To the wicked, He's the destroyer. And that destruction is complete and utter destruction. It's not... Uh, It's not preaching that we hear very much today. But even Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 28 Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God is the destroyer of the wicked, He's the defender of the righteous, He's the deliverer also. And these are reasons that David had for praise. David's prayer, praise and rejoicing, notice also he speaks in verses 6 through 10 of permanence and refuge, of permanence and refuge. It says in verse 6, O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them, but the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. David speaks of an enemy here that is temporary. An enemy that is temporary. The Lord will endure forever, but the enemies not so much. You know, every kingdom on earth, no matter how mighty, no matter how prosperous, no matter how significant in history, is temporary. Kingdoms have risen and fallen, but no matter how secure they seemed, they were just temporary. Every kingdom on earth, no matter how mighty, is just temporary. It reminded me of the poem Ozymandias by Percy Shelley. It says, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survives stamped on this lifeless thing. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing besides remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. He speaks of what used to be a mighty and imposing statue of a king that thought his kingdom would last forever, but... It's gone. It's gone. Every enemy you face is a temporary one. All men are temporary. It reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar who was just enjoying what he had accomplished one day, looking around and seeing all the things. And he said to himself, Look at all that I have accomplished. And the Lord took away his sense. And for years, he wandered as just this wild animal of a man because he did not give God the glory. God struck Herod dead because he did not give God the glory. Men are temporary. Kingdoms are temporary, no matter how mighty they are. And every enemy you face is a temporary one. By the way, every person that we think are enemies of God and righteousness and Christianity in general are temporary ones. All men are temporary, but there is an enduring throne, an enduring throne. It says, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Kingdoms rise and fall, empires come and go, but God is still on his throne and forever will be. There will be no end to his kingdom, and one day that kingdom will come to earth. Isaiah 9 This was the promise that the angel gave in Luke chapter 1, verses 30-33, to to Mary, where he said, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end." We tend to focus on the temporary things. We focus on politicians and people and movements and issues and our circumstances. And we forget that our focus should instead be on the eternal kingdom, not on this temporary one. And Jesus applied this right down to our basic needs In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said in verses 31 through 34, "...take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things." But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We are to focus our attention, our emotions, our thoughts on that which is eternal, the kingdom of Christ. And all that temporary stuff, God will take care of that. He's the enduring throne. The enemies are temporary. God's also an escape in trouble. He's an escape in trouble. The Lord also, it says, will be a refuge for the oppressed. In verse 9, a refuge in times of trouble. I love what it says in Psalm 32, verse 7 Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. God is your hiding place. You can run to him for refuge. uh, 2 Samuel 22, verse 3 The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. How many defensive objects can you put in one verse? He's my rock, he's my solid foundation. He's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He's my high tower, my, ref- my fortress there. He's my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. Are you taking advantage of your best and most secure place of refuge? You know, we go through life and we get busy and we get concerned and we get worried and we get anxious and we forget that there's a refuge waiting And we don't have to run very far to find it because it says in verse uh, 1 of Psalm 91, which I don't have on the screen for you, but it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers. And under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. And it goes on and on and on and on. He that dwelleth in the secret place. Where's the secret place? Jesus said, it's in your closet. You don't have to run very far to find him. But so often we forget that our most secure refuge is in the presence of our Heavenly Father. He's our escape in trouble. And then he, there's an earned trust there also. David speaking from experience when he says in verse 10, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. You can trust in the Lord. He's proven himself faithful. They that know thy name, do you know him well enough to trust him? You can't know him apart from his word. God's word is a picture that he has painted for us of himself. He reveals himself to us in the pages of your Bible. And do you know him well enough to trust him? I don't think I could trust the Lord the way I do if I didn't know what He says about Himself in His Word. How many promises from Scripture I claim every single day just trusting that God will do what He says? "'They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. You can trust Him. He has and will prove Himself faithful.'" Hebrews 13, verse 5 through 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God is enough. And to have him is enough. To know that you have his person and his presence, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, is enough that you can be content with whatever situation you're in. He always keeps his promises. 1 Kings verse. 56 of chapter 8 says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he has promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. I challenge you to find one world leader, elected official, politician that has that good of a track record of keeping their promises. God kept every promise that He gave to His people. Not one of those promises failed. We're used to, in our day and age, politicians and people saying, I never promised that. No, 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 I meant this. I meant this. We're right on track. This was our goal all along. But God has not failed in one word of His good promise. Not in one word. The permanence and refuge that we find in him. The praise and rejoicing we should have of him. And then notice praise and retribution in the latter half of the psalm. It says in verses 11 through 20, "...sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion, declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble." Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise. In the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they have made, in the net which they have hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands, Higion Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Notice again, David says, we should declare his acts. We should declare his acts. We should sing and declare the goodness and faithfulness of God. Are you a person of praise? Do you give God the credit for what he does in your life? Declare his acts. And then depend on him to avenge. Depend on him to avenge. There's the principle here in Psalm 9 that God will search out the guilty party and avenge the afflicted and the humble. God will do that. He will search out the guilty. He will avenge the afflicted and the humble. Jesus said in Luke 18, verses 7 through 8, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith in the earth. It may not be on our timetable, but God has not forgotten, and God will set everything right. Romans 12 says in verses 18 through 19, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That's God's job. God will set things straight. God will avenge. God God is keeping very close records. And He is going to get, have everyone give an account before him one day. But our job is to give place for God to avenge. We need to depend on him for that, to declare his acts, to desire his assistance. In verse 13, David cries out to God again in prayer. He says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me, thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. He cries out in prayer If you desire the assistance of your heavenly Father, do you cry out to Him in prayer like David did? Philippians 4 or 6 says, Be careful, be full of care. We might say anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace that is promised in verse 7 assumes that you pray the prayer in verse 6. And David cries out to God in prayer. Psalm 55, verse 22 is a wonderful promise cast thy burden upon the lord and he shall sustain thee he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved and peter put it this way in first peter 5:7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you how's your prayer life do you cry out to god Do you allow him to lift you up? Do you depend on him for that perfect peace and for his assistance? You know, casting involves giving it up, throwing it at him. Do you cast your cares and your burdens upon the Lord? David does in verse 13 and 14. He desires God's assistance. And then notice the destruction and the affliction here. In the last five verses, he says, The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they have made, in the net. Which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. We see the end of all of those that trust in wickedness. What happens to them? Well, they fall into their own pits. They fall into their own pits. Proverbs 26, verse 27. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. I think that's my. Favorite thing to read in the news cycle is when somebody gets caught in their own pit. Proverbs twenty-eight verse ten is, "Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit; but the upright shall have good things in possession." The wicked fall into their own pits; they are also caught in their own traps. Here in Psalm nine. Psalm 10 says it this way in verse 2, The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. I like to pray that about politicians. I'm, I'm serious. Lord, they are scheming. They are trying to accomplish some wicked things. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Let them be caught in their own traps. And their destiny, it says, is in hell. It says there in verse 17, "...the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God." That is the truth of the matter, and we see how that comes to pass in Revelation 20, verse 15, where "...whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire." You know, in the end, they are merely human, and God is the righteous, just judge. They seem very powerful. They seem to have everything going their way, everyone on their side. They seem to have the culture and the judicial system and the justice system and everything in the palm of their hand. But Isaiah 40 verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. And are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the aisles as a very little thing. You know, when God does send his Son to execute judgment on this earth, it's not going to be like those sci fi movies. When the threat comes from on high and all the nations get together and they come up with this super weapon and they win, it's going to be he speaks and they're wiped out. Not a shot will be fired because to the Lord, the nations, all of them are a drop in a bucket. The dust on the balance, just wipe it off, set the scales right right again. And all the isles, all the nations, a very little thing. He's not threatened, he's not worried, and he will set things right. He's your defender, he's your deliverer, his throne is permanent and all else is temporary. No matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the news might say, or what's happening in Washington or around the world, God is still on His throne. And you can praise Him and should praise Him, not just in your prayer closet, not just in the pew, but also to the people that are around you, in songs and in words and in, with your whole heart, giving Him the praise that He's due. Why? Because He is the righteous and just judge of all the earth. Father, we do thank you for your word. How glad we are that you're still on the throne. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have eyes that are set on things above and not on things in this earth, that we might take our confidence in you, that you would give us wisdom. Lord, we need to give an answer to those that are around us with the hope that's within us. We need to Tell people what you've done for us. and To be men and women of praise. Give us the courage to trust in you. Lord, defend us and deliver us and help us as we try to be salt and light in an ever darkening day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.